Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. So nice to be back with you again. It's been a nice week for me. Hope it's been a nice week for all of you as well. Gearing up for the weekend, cannot wait. It looks like I will be heading out to Lake Powell. That hasn't been 100% confirmed, but just going out there for a pretty quick uh, two and a half, three day trip. Be a nice little getaway. Love Lake Powell. It's getting near the end of the season. Might as well take advantage while I can, right? Anyway, I uh, wanted to get this podcast out first and foremost. This is actually something I've been working on for a while. The topic is the five Mormons you meet in Utah, which, yes, in case you're wondering, that's based on Mitch Albom's book, fictional book, uh, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. And I'll explain a little bit more about that when we get into the episode. And then obviously I'll dive into the five different Mormons you meet in Utah. Anyway, uh, before we get to that though, there's actually something I wanted to share. Because I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast uh, earlier this week. Maybe it was late last week. I can't really remember. Um, he was doing it with a North Korean refugee. Some of you may have already heard that. It was amazing. It was honestly, it was pretty mind-blowing uh, to hear perspectives of somebody that grew up in North Korea. She had amazing things to say, very, very perspective-changing things, or I guess I should say perspective-widening things to say, just kind of in, in, in the sense of what it means to be truly in prison, you know, and I mean prison in the sense of not even knowing uh, what was out there and potential and things like that. I wanted to point out specifically one thing that she said that really stuck out to me. And I actually have the clip. I'm going to insert it here in just a second because I think it's important what she's saying here in the context of the larger scheme of what we're here for on this earth and kind of where we came from. And, you know, those that are familiar with the war in heaven that took place before we got to this earth, kind of that whole concept as well. Um, one thing I wanted to say quickly before I get to that clip, though, is that she had said some fascinating things just in general about kind of liberation. And she was talking about how, you know, you're not truly oppressed if you know you're oppressed, with the idea being that true oppression is not knowing that you're oppressed, which is something that I've always said in the terms of why the Gutenberg Press was one of the uh, top three most important inventions of our life, or not our lifetime, obviously, but in the world, in world history. And that's because it liberated an entire group of people that didn't know they were being oppressed, right? Where they had access to information directly now, instead of having to go through somebody else who could use and abuse that power however they wanted. Ideas like that. And that is a fascinating concept that when you don't know you're oppressed, that's when you're actually truly oppressed. So I don't know, some deep thoughts there, something meta to kind of think about. Anyway, I want to talk about something a little bit different in terms of what she said, and I'll play that clip for you right now. Freedom was difficult. I was literally saying if I had enough frozen potato, had at least minimum food to eat, I would go back to North Korea. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I was not used to thinking. Thinking was hard, right? Thinking was not something I'm used to. Like, I never had to think. But not only that, you have to think for yourself. What do you want to do your life? And I was like, do you have to know? <laughs> Can't you just not tell me what I need to do? Because I'm so good at following the orders. But they go, like, in South Korea, they were asking me, so what do you want to do? And what do you think? And what I thought never mattered. I couldn't believe, like, why what I think matters to you. 
So really thinking for yourself was very difficult. I would be so tired after thinking for five minutes. I would get exhausted all day. (laughs) (laughs) I literally get like, okay, working out with thinking is so hard. Like I would get so exhausted. How does people like keep thinking here all day long? They say the same thing happens to people when they get out of prison. That when they get out of prison, they, they call it being institutionalized. That when they get out of prison, they want to go back to prison. Yeah. And oftentimes they'll commit crimes just so they can get arrested and go back to prison yeah. because in prison they're told what to do. Yeah. And they become accustomed to it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like for you. Yeah. Okay, how crazy is that? This this woman, I believe, I don't know how you pronounce her name, but it's Yanmi, Yanmi Park, I believe, who escaped North Korea like the the awful evils and atrocities that were taking place in North Korea from one of the world's worst dictators, certainly in our lifetime. And she's she's talking about, you know, seeing young boys begging for food. And no joke, this is going to sound graphic, but this is what she talks about. She talks about how his intestines were like out of his body. They were like leaving his body because he he was so skinny and malnourished that like any orifice that could be opened was opened even more and he's begging for food, and she said she felt nothing witnessing this. She didn't, I mean, it's just everybody just was fighting for themselves in North Korea, and that was the world she lived in. And she said that if she had enough food to sustain herself, essentially, she would even go back to North Korea because it was easier. And Joe Rogan's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, I didn't have to think for myself when I lived in North Korea because I was always being told what to do. Now, what does that sound like to any of you? That, to me, sounds a lot like what Satan had in store for us in the War for Heaven. His idea of living on this earth was, you don't need to think for yourselves, I'll do it for you. I'll tell you everything you need to do. And, you know, initially when you hear that, you're like, well, that sounds like an awful plan, right? There's no agency, there's no freedom to choose. But there is a subset of beliefs out there where there are people that actually don't want to think for themselves because it is hard. That's what Yanmi Park was saying. That's what she she was saying that thinking is hard. It takes energy. It takes effort. And you know what? It takes a lot of responsibility. You kind of have to own up to what you think about and your actions that come as a fallout of your thoughts. And that's why it does, maybe it's appealing to some people to think, well, if I can be ruled over, if everything can just be planned out for me, all I have to do is obey. And she even said that following orders was easy. So you kind of understand all of a sudden where people come from. And I actually believe there is a you know, larger conversation here to be had when it comes to governmental control, right? That's the idea of fascism or communism and things like that, socialism, where you don't really have to do a whole lot of thinking for yourself if the government has more power. You know, Maybe there's a sense of exoneration there, personal exoneration, where you don't feel like you're responsible for your own actions because the government is controlling more of your actions than you are. I don't know. Maybe that's the argument. And they want to have an easier way of life, more simplistic, because they don't have to actually use their own agency and be held accountable for that agency. King Mosiah II actually talks a lot about that at the end of the Book of Mormon when he's trying to get his own people to not have a king. He first goes to them and he asks them, who would you like to be as your king? And they say, well, we'd love one of your sons, right? And and he asks all of his sons, and all of them said no, which is a fascinating idea when you think about it. Why did they say no? Who wouldn't want to be king? Who in the right mind would turn down the opportunity to be a king over people, right? That seems like a very appealing position to be in. But they said no. And you know what? 
that was not unique in the Book of Mormon. There were actually a lot of different occasions where there were people who turned down the opportunity to be a king. And we've seen that somewhat in modern day, right? George Washington also turned down that opportunity, and God bless him forever for that because it fundamentally transformed the way our country evolved, right? Had our country first taken on a king, then we would have been a monarchy, and perhaps freedom of religion wouldn't have existed, certainly not freedom of speech, right? Or at least a lot of limitations to that. And King Mosiah actually comes back and he says, you know, it's probably not fit for you all to have a king. And this is why, because it's actually not good that the decisions of these kings, the sins of these kings, fall into the heads of the people, right? The people should be responsible for their own decisions and for their own sins. Mosiah has a whole monologue on this thing near the end of that book where he talks about how it's actually not good to be ruled by a king. And then from there, the series, the system of judges was set up, and that's essentially what we live in now, which I, I, I think that whole concept is fascinating. I think we're still fighting the war in heaven here on earth because I think there are people that do want, simply want to be ruled over, that they want to have less power when it comes to making their own decisions. Anyway, that's why I wanted to share that little excerpt from the Joe Rogan podcast because it is fascinating. It is, uh, I, I encourage you guys to listen to it if you haven't already. Um, it's pretty eye-opening in a lot of ways, and it's it's gruesome, it's brutal, it's horrible to think that there are countries still today that live like that. But like I said, it was eye-opening, and uh, I really appreciated Joe Rogan taking the time to give her a platform and for her to talk about everything that she went through and her experiences and, and how, and I'll even tell you this, if you haven't heard it yet, it's mind-blowing that she said she came here and started to experience the same oppression in the sense where she was scared to open her mouth and she was scared to disagree when she came to, to college out here in the United States because essentially she was scared of being canceled or whatever else. But anyway, fascinating. Take the time to listen to it. And uh, if you get a second, let me know what you think. And just let me know about what you think about this overall theory because I could be totally out on left field. But if you like it, let me know. And with that, we will go ahead and start this podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mormons are my favorite. They're my favorite. Yeah, okay. They're absolutely yeah. my favorite. All Mormons are nutty Mormons. Mormons are the nicest cult of all time. Beautiful. And these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. Just being a Mormon's nutty. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yeah. best cult. My favorite religion is Mormons. They're the nicest people. Shout out to the Latter-day Saint. All right. So for today's episode, I wanted to talk about something that I've been working on for a bit. It's this idea that there are all different types of Mormons, believe it or not. I've uh, kind of alluded to this idea before. I've talked about Antichrist and how, I, and how I actually think Antichrists will come from within the church based off of what we see in the Book of Mormon. I think... In my own personal belief, I think all three Antichrists, Sherem, Nehor, and Korahor, which by the way, it is pronounced Nehor, not Nehor, like I said in that podcast episode, uh, I think all three of them came from the church of their time, 
personally, and I and I laid out reasons as to why. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go over that again, but I just want to tell you that like you know there's a lot of diversity of types of people from this church, right? So the reason why I'm calling this episode "The Five Mormons You Meet in Utah" is because it's a play on Mitch Albom's book, "The Five People You Meet in Heaven." And with that, Mitch Albom's basically talking about kind of these type of people represent an idea or a characteristic uh, as, uh, you know, types of personas in heaven, so to speak. And, like, there's the person that represents everything happening for a reason, for example, or, like, uh, the strength of love or, or that your life always has a purpose, things like that. Um, it's not going to be quite like that. I'm going to be talking about specific types of people. Um, essentially kind of different ideologies within the framework of the gospel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I Disclaimer, I understand... Well, there, I have a few disclaimers. I know I shouldn't be tossing around the term Mormon that much. It's just a lot easier to say in this context because I don't necessarily want to have to say member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints every time I say that. Um, so excuse me for doing that. I'm sorry. I, I actually have been wanting to get better about doing that. I do believe when President Nelson said that you'll have blessings poured out upon you, uh, the likes of which have never been seen. I believe in that promise. Um, however, that's my disclaimer. Uh, it, it's just going to be a lot easier to get through this if I'm just able to say Mormon with unapologetically, essentially. So there, I, but I, here I am apologizing for it. Anyway, Another disclaimer, this is obviously all my own hypotheses, hypotheses, I guess I should say, because there's multiple in here, involving each of the five people. These are my own thoughts. You may disagree with them, and that's okay. If you do disagree with them and want to talk more about it, I'm all ears. I'm always open to that. I, I, uh, I'm a big believer, and I think I've said this before. I'm a big believer in what Arthur Brooks said, which is, and he actually said this in a BYU forum, he said... We don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better. So if you disagree with me and you'd like to talk about it, I would love to hear it because I'm not one to just sit there and argue back and say, no, this is why you're wrong, that this, that, and the other, and, and be specifically aggressive about it. It would be more, I'd be very open to what you have to say and what you think. Um, and, and it helps kind of help my own kind of thoughts evolve and, and improve and things like that. So anyway, all right, without further ado... Um, let's go ahead and get into it. The five Mormons you see in Utah, or the five Mormons you meet in Utah. I'll go through all five really quickly right now, and then I'll give a little, each a little bit more of their own time to, ex, to expound on that, on those ideas. You have the ex-Mormon, you have the progressive Mormon, you have the moderate Mormon, you have the traditional Mormon, which is not to be confused with the cultural Utah Mormon, that characteristic actually exists across the board of all five different types of Mormons. You probably hear um, the lawnmower going on outside. That's okay. I'm not, I don't want to record this podcast on another time, so we're just going to have to deal with that background noise. I'm sorry. And then for the fifth category, you have the alt-right overzealous Mormon. So... Let's get into it. Let's go start. Let's go start with the ex-Mormon. A lot of this is self-explanatory. Ex-Mormons tend to not just leave the church alone when they leave. You'll find some that go in peace occasionally. It happens, obviously. 
they just join another religion or just abandon religion altogether. But what seems unique about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is summarized pretty well in an article that Tad Collister wrote for the Church News, which, by the way, as far as I know, he hasn't written another article since he uh, since the Church News kind of <laughs> abandoned him uh, when he wrote like a very, very pro-America article. So that tells you something about the Church News. But anyway, um, the, t- the article is titled How the Church Ruins Its Members for Any Other Church. And in that he says, In truth... This church ruins its members for any other church because they know too much. If people leave this church, they will usually end up traveling down one of two paths. Either they will become a church unto themselves because they will never find another church that has more truth than they already have, or they will head down the road of agnosticism. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there is something to say that, you know, they just never really find a church that suits kind of their... Uh, basic set of beliefs, the foundation that's been laid out for them. And for that reason, they just work on either destroying the church as a whole or just kind of leaving, just saying there is no God, you know, or saying maybe there is a God and I just don't know. I like how he said specifically a church unto themselves because I actually feel like that has uh, other applicability, other application outside of ex-Mormon. Because it's not only ex-Mormons that I see that, but a lot of people who, who proclaim to be active members of the church, which brings me to the next group, and this group I'm going to spend the most time talking about. Those are the progressive Mormons. Progressive Mormons have a series of goals that are intertwined with their own relationship with the church and the gospel. They're not just trying to be a part of an existing organization. They want to be proactive in how this organization should be or how this church should be, which in and of itself demonstrates a lot of hubris when you think about it. It's not so much that they want to see the church change as much as they want to be the ones who change it. I honestly think they want to be the first in line just so they can say, I was the reason this happened, rather than sitting back and having faith that in due time things will transpire as they should and certainly have as they have in the church. Right. The Order of Nehor is actually a pretty big blueprint for progressive members of the church. Right, these, these progressive members are active. A lot of them are, at least. Or a lot of them say they are. Um, Nehor came out with this idea that there should be a paid clergy, as well as the idea that there's no need for an atoning Messiah because there's essentially no such thing as sin. Right, this, The desire to be paid and to be popular, which is a direct word used in the Book of Mormon, it actually says popular, is evident today with a lot of these progressive Mormons. Not so much the desire to be paid, right? You don't necessarily say like, hear them say like, we, I should be paid for these ideas. However, popularity these days certainly online translates a lot of times to monetary benefits as well. So it is kind of intermingled. Those that try and jump the gun, so to speak, when it comes to getting ahead of the church and its doctrine seem to fall into this category. It's not that they're trying to transform the church to be more loving or Christ-like. They're trying to be prophetic in their own way and looking to get game by doing so kind of goes back to what Ted Collister was saying, right? That ex-Mormons can become a church unto themselves. Well, progressive Mormons kind of become a church unto themselves, right? Because they're really trying to get game more than anything, which is the idea of priestcraft, which is exactly what Nehor was professing, right? Priestcraft, get gain by essentially monetizing the gospel. You know, and you actually, I've referenced Hank Smith before and kind of the, the issues I've had with him. And that was actually one of the issues I had with him is that I felt like he was trying to make the gospel kind of this more milk toast approach where it's just like, let's just everybody love everybody, which, yeah, sure, that's a big component of it. In fact, that's the strongest component of it, but that's not all it is. That's 
that can be oversimplification at times, right? What is what does love mean and how do we show love while also standing up for our beliefs? And I did feel like Hank Smith was kind of getting caught up in that. Not to say that he's a progressive Mormon. I wouldn't say that at all, actually. But I do think he was getting caught up in a little bit of that. I want to be popular. I want to be well-known. I want people to um, follow me, right? And and whatever that may mean, right? Which is a kind of a priestcrafty mentality, if you ask me. That's what Nihor came up with. You also get a lot of kind of contradicting, um, I guess, actions within the progressive Mormon ideology. One example I have of that, actually, is I don't know if you're familiar with Rosemary Card. She actually runs the uh, QNOR business. She started that. I've met her. Um, we've talked very briefly. She seems nice for the most part, um, but I've seen her on social media, and um, she can get kind of vicious on social media. She really goes after people, right? She's She claims to be loving and charitable with her strong advocacies of kind of like the Black Lives Matter group or the LGBTQ movement, things like that. But then when you see a tweet that mocks senator lindsey graham for getting covid even having been vaccinated she likes that tweet that's mocking him coming down with covid simply because he stands in opposition to most if not all of her own personal ideologies so this charitability from her standpoint has its limitations i think that's a nice example of what you see with a lot of progressive mormons right it their charitability is conditional on who they believe is advancing their own ideology or advancing their own agenda. Anybody that stands in opposition to it can burn in hell, which I think was also kind of Nihor's philosophy as well, right? Because that's why he killed Gideon. He's like, you're not, you're not, this isn't working for me. You're not advancing my own belief here. So to hell with you, right? And so he kills Gideon. And that's actually why they killed Nihor subsequently, right? It wasn't that he was preaching these falsities or these terrible things um, because that was legal, right? They believed in free speech back then. But they killed him because he killed Gideon, which that, you know, sounds about right. Um, They don't, progressive Mormons generally don't believe in repentance because they don't believe in sin, right? I kind of mentioned that before. That's that's the order of Nehor. Ironically, though, they do want to be the first to castigate anyone who doesn't live up to the world's standards, which these world standards seem to be heavily weighted towards things like racism, homophobia, insert whatever word phobia there you want to tie to it, right? It's based on kind of the world's philosophy of what that even means, which is very subjective, let's be honest. Like, you can actually uh, kind of push that agenda on anyone and say, oh, they're, they're doing this because they're racist, or they're the, they're the victims of racism just because they're, you know, a different skin color, which isn't always the case, but they're, for, they're you know, out pushing that a lot. It actually undermines the purpose of the atonement, right, which is a key point of doctrine within the Nihor dogma. In a sick way... They also don't tend to believe in forgiveness from a worldly standpoint. That's very ironic, actually. They believe the world creates the standards, and the standards must be lived and preached within the walls of any religion. This is where you get pervasive accusations from them, including, but not limited to, homophobia, racism, sexism, etc. There's a lot of a claim to want social equality for the masses, but the irony here is that the people who profess to be fighting this common enemy they've identified, which is within those worldly constructs, right, racism, homophobia, all that stuff, are doing so as a way to prop themselves up to look as if they're fighting for a righteous cause. But those who tend to do this the most seem to be more driven by popularity on various social media platforms. Thus, the focus is on who they get to follow them rather than finding a real enemy, which is sin, let's be honest. And I do see that a lot, quite frankly. And that's why you actually see kind of, you know, you've heard this term that 
you know, the demand for racism doesn't meet the supply. So they actually go digging for these stories. We actually saw that recently at a the, the example being at the Rockies game. The mascot's name is Dinger. And one of the guys, um, like near the front row, was shouting the mascot's name. He was saying, Dinger, 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 to get a picture, I think, with his kids. Very, very noble cause, right? And people were throwing out the idea that he was actually saying the N-word. And, and to, to let's just think about this for a second. If you zoom out and say, was there really this guy like near the front row of the stadium that could be caught on camera? Not that he would have known that necessarily. Was he really just saying the N-word like that? Like in front of everybody? Can you imagine? Like that, like that sounds so crazy. But that's not what people want to believe, right? They want to believe that he was actually a terrible racist. Turned out it wasn't true, right? So once again, the demand for racism oftentimes doesn't meet the supply, which that's why there's a demand, right? There's a demand for this because these people want to prop themselves up, just like I'm saying. You see this in some people that profess to be members of the church, like Julie Hanks, who is a very, very popular psychotherapist. In fact, I know a lot of people that follow Julie Hanks, and it's a little bit concerning, I'll be honest, because Julie Hanks is right in the cut from that same cloth, right? She kind of tells you what you want to hear. She says things like, I am pro-choice but anti-abortion, right? That's a very interesting way of putting that. Kind of sounds like the philosophies of man mingled with scripture to some degree. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Calvin Burke is a huge part of that, right? He claims to be a member of the church. He recently got expelled from BYU. No idea why. I do hope he's handling that okay. I don't wish any of these people ill, but if they're going to, you know, attack the church's gospel foundational core beliefs in the manner of progressivism, I think they need to be called out for it. Papa Osler is very popular on Twitter. Him as well. He's always saying, let's make room in the boat for everybody, this, that, and the other. And it's kind of like, well, nobody's really saying they can't come in the boat. Like, the church literally doesn't, like, they, they don't say, they don't have a filter. Like, anyone can come to church. Anybody can be at sacrament meeting. So I don't know even what this war is that he's created in his own mind. And there he is turning the other way when it comes to people that are, quite frankly, openly sinning. And, and he's doing it under kind of the name of progressivism and also, like, acceptance. Um, I Obviously, like, if you look at what these people are saying, you know, besides calling out sinners on worldly premises, right, racist, homophobes, all this stuff, they're basically telling everyone that they can do no wrong, which sounds a lot like Nihor, once again. Or in other words, there is no need for an atoning Messiah, which it's fascinating to think about, right? If they're sitting there saying, let's not, let's not, you know, condemn anybody for their sins, which they're right about that. We shouldn't condemn anybody for their sins. But if we shouldn't judge them either, that kind of sounds like what Nihor was saying, because he's like, it doesn't matter what we do, we'll all be saved at the end. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken here. I could be wrong. It's, uh, it's up for debate, no question about that. But I do have one question for these progressive Mormons. What does constitute sin in their eyes? In other words, what is something that somebody can do that can preclude them from being in the presence of their Heavenly Father? I'm sure their immediate response might be racism, homophobia, sexism, right? It's something that I talked about. Like, they're basing it off of the world standards of what makes something racist, homophobic, or sexist. Which, let's not forget, those are terrible things, right? Actual cases of those things are terrible. 
but I think they tend to inflate these things just so they can get something to prop themselves up on a lot of the time. But can they think of anything specifically unique to Christ's gospel that excludes somebody based on sin? Not something based on an imperfect society's subjective perception of what it is to be essentially a mean person. I want to know, what, like, what is it that's going to keep somebody out of the celestial kingdom? Outside of those, oh, racist, homophobic, sexist, right? We all agree on that. Just their, their definition of what constitutes that is very different from a lot of other people's. So answer me that, and then we can have an interesting conversation, I think. But Anyway, that brings me to the next group. The next group is the moderate Mormons. The moderate Mormons are a tough group to nail down because there are so many of them. In fact, this might be the biggest group of the five. They, they may have the highest amount and the most broad range of members of the church that fall into this category. I can basically summarize it with this thought. They would rather not offend people than stand up for their own beliefs. Most of them believe love is the guiding principle, even if it comes at the cost of abandoning some of the basic tenets of their ideology, right, of their religion. And what further exacerbates this conundrum is the notion that not only they must love their neighbor, but they must love their neighbor according to what their neighbor's demands are, right? According to how their neighbor says they should love, which is extremely subjective and very dangerous. I kind of wrote about this idea earlier this year when uh, there was that situation with the, the rainbow lighting of the Y. Um, I, th- I thought the biggest issue wasn't that either side might have been offended by the actions of the other. I thought it was more that there wasn't really an agreed definition of love between the two sides, right? Nobody really was saying, what does it even mean to be loving, right? Because both sides have their own definitions of that. And I think that's fascinating to think about. Because you saw a lot of uproar at BYU when, when people said that it wasn't, like when BYU said it wasn't sanctioned by the university and people started accusing BYU of not being loving, that led me to my overall thought that not only... BYU, but a lot of members of the church get accused of being unloving towards the LGBT community simply because members of that community don't feel accepted, right? It's really contingent on how they feel, on how that group feels, right? They're the, if they say, we feel like we're not accepted, then you have to change just so we can feel accepted, which, I mean, that, like I said, that's very subjective. And like, how do you, how do you really define those terms? And this is actually what I wrote in that piece, which I'm sorry, I know quoting yourself is got to be the most egotistical thing, but whatever, here it is. When we change the way we define actions by how the action was received rather than how it was intended, the balance of power shifts and becomes solely dependent on how the recipient feels about you in the moment, which is ever-evolving. And that is a scary precedent. And yeah, I, that, I mean, I figured it'd just be easier to, to read what I wrote already about this topic, but I think those progressive Mormons are victim to that idea, is that they think, well, I can't be a hateful person or I can't be a mean person. I must be loving. And how would you guys define love? They, they go to the other side. They go to the progressive Mormons. They go to the ex-Mormons and they say, how do you think we should love? And then they just are subservient to that idea, which isn't right. That's not the right way to go. That's the biggest problem with moderate Mormons. Not that they want to be loving, but they but that they love according to how progressives say they should love. They don't have enough faith in themselves to say, I do love you, but I'm sorry, you don't feel that love. That's really not up to me. All I can do is treat you the way I believe Christ would treat you, which I realize is a subjective place we all put ourselves in. But with sincere introspection, I know they can figure that out. They really can. And they shouldn't let anybody else decide that for them. I'm definitely not saying we have to condemn everyone who we think is sinning. In fact, we shouldn't ever do that. 
There's only one person who can do that, obviously, right? We know who that is. Unfortunately, none of us are that person. Because with that job comes a lot of responsibility. I, You know what? I thank God a lot that I don't have to be that person because I'm not ready for it, right? I, I wouldn't know where to start when it comes to condemning others and actually placing judgments on where they should be or whatever else, right? But it stands to reason that we are firm in our beliefs and make sure we point out sin where necessary because we have endless examples of that very thing in the Book of Mormon alone, right? Would Alma and Amulek have perceived, would they have been perceived as loving by those in Ammonihah? I highly doubt it. Laman and Lemuel more than likely didn't see Nephi as loving on their terms, but does that mean he didn't love them? On the contrary, I think he spoke plainly to them because he wanted to have a shared experience within the gospel with his actual brothers, which is why it's so important we not concern ourselves when we're accused of not being loving by those who have their own subjective definition of love. Once again, I think that's the biggest hang-up with the moderates, the moderate Mormons. All right, moving on to the next group, traditional Mormons. This one's pretty quick. I mean, I, I did want to reiterate that the tra- traditional Mormon is not to be confused with the cultural slash Utah Mormon, because I think that characteristic acri- exists across all five types of Mormons that you might meet, right? You will find the stereotypical Mormon even within the ex-Mormons. Um, they just exist, right? They're among the progressives. They're among the moderates, obviously the traditionals and the alt-rights, um, because there are obvious subsets to these five different types of Mormons. But I will say this is going to be the most boring to describe of the five because I consider myself to be a traditional Mormon. And it's probably really hard to describe myself, but or maybe not. I don't know. And the, the, the overwhelming majority of those that are listening to this podcast are also traditional members of the church, I must say, in, in what I would think at least they are. The most prominent defining aspect of this group is that they generally just believe in what the prophet tells them without exception. They try and live up to what the church has always professed, is professing, and will profess. They don't generally try to come up with excuses for past transgressions of the church, although they can acknowledge that there have been mistakes made based on cultural pressures, among other things. The imperfection of their leaders may be the most reassuring thing about what they believe in the gospel. They don't believe in being perfect now. They just believe in becoming better every day. This is also a very forgiving group as well. They don't condemn or castigate. They primarily worry about themselves, but they're also not afraid to stand up and defend their beliefs. They don't let the rules of other groups define how they carry themselves. They operate on their own strong testimony and don't concern themselves as much with being a part of a larger group, which unfortunately is essentially the downfall of all other groups. The moment your group identity supersedes your personal identity, you've lost yourself. And I think that we see that with a lot of types of people, right? And I actually think the group identity is really important to this next group. And I think that's kind of what why they can get out of control sometimes. And I, I think you see that with progressive Mormons as well. But um, The alt-right slash overzealous Mormon is how I would define this group. And I'm open to new names for these groups as well. Take everything I just said about traditional members of the church and you basically have the overzealous members of the church. Where this group loses its tradition is when they go so far the other way from the ex-mo slash right, ex-Mormons, progressive Mormons, and try and make them pay for their sins. They truly do believe themselves to believe that they are, that they are holier than any other group. Um, they esteem themselves as the only true followers of Christ, and the Christ they like to emulate the most is the one who chastised the money changers in the temple. 
which I actually was thinking about, that begs an interesting question in and of itself. Which version of Christ do we want to emulate? Well, spoiler alert, the fortunate answer is we don't have to choose because even when Christ was chastening the money changers in his father's house, he was definitely doing it with love. I have no doubt about that. Which was probably lost on those he was yelling at, right? They probably didn't feel the love, but that Christ didn't base his philosophy of love on how they felt it, how they received it. Anyway, sorry, that was a little tangential, but it goes a lot to what I was saying about moderate Mormons. Um, the overzealous Mormons actually do overemphasize their version of this version of Christ specifically, the one that was in the temple just going after the money changers, right? And unfortunately, they don't really understand that concept. In fact, they really don't emphasize love um, at all in what they do. And uh, what they would define as def defending the faith, so to speak, there's no love in, in how they approach that, I would say. In fact, really what drives them, and this is kind of how I can summarize it altogether, is what I think is that they enjoy the fight itself more than they enjoy living the gospel. It's almost as if they're frothing at the mouth to get into a fight with an ex-Mormon or a progressive Mormon. And in some cases, probably a traditional Mormon, definitely a moderate Mormon, right? And I think that's interesting. I think it's worth pointing out that um, this is something I've talked about on the podcast before, that you know, the moment we start enjoying the fight more than, than the gospel that we're defending, I think we've lost ourselves. I think, I think that's what the Nephites did near the end of the Book of Mormon, right? I think in the times of Alma and Captain Moroni, I think they were truly fighting because they loved their religion, their God, their families, and their freedom. You know, everything in the title, for li title of liberty. And I think that's what we need to keep the focus on now. And we know when we need to defend that, right? When we see it. I think what happened to the book, the Nephites at the end of the Book of Mormon is what led to their demise, right? They started to actually love just killing Lamanites. I think that was the thing they loved the most. Maybe even the only thing they loved. Who knows? Because maybe at that point they completely lost themselves and their religion was meaningless to them. And they were thinking, I just want to kill Lamanites, right? And I think the alt-right overzealous Mormon can get caught up in that as well sometimes where they're just like, I just want to argue and prove progressives and ex-Mormons wrong. And that's not really the way to go, right? Um, I understand this is coming from somebody that may not be perceived as loving a lot of times. And, you know, I'm certainly not all the time. I definitely try to let that guide my actions, but I don't all the time. I get caught up in it sometimes as well, but I do try and be better, a little bit better every day. Anyway, I hope this episode was helpful in defining kind of the five different types of Mormons because uh, I think there is something to that. I think you can actually look at a lot of members of the church and classify them in one of these five groups. I'd imagine some people evolve from one phase to the next, whether for better or for worse. And like I said, there are subsets to each of these. I don't have those articulated quite yet. Maybe you all can help me with that. Anyway, I hope this was entertaining. I hope it was helpful. If you think I'm crazy, definitely let me know. Um, with that, I hope you all have a great rest of your week and have a nice relaxing weekend coming up. And I hope your own personal relationship with your Heavenly Father is growing. I truly do. And with that, everything's changing my mind going to a different time. So madly, there must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause 
Did you fail?